Put it in the lead column. Yeah, baby, yeah, baby, yeah, baby. This is Flames Talk with Pat Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, it is Friday, January 19th, and we are underway this hour on Flames Talk. It's Steinberg on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And it's also the Eric Francis Hour, brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has an $83 million positive economic impact in Calgary annually. Visit thehorses.com, 18 plus. Please play responsibly. Now we say hello to uh, Eric Francis of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. I giggle because if you're listening on podcast, you'd have no idea. But as we did this live, um, we had to restart because Eric's mic was really, really low. So instead, he's on the phone now. Uh, hello, EF from Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. Hello, my friend. How are you? I'm hoping this is a little better. Oh, you are loud and clear now. How are you, brother? Okay. I'm great. Hey, listen, have you guys have you spent much time this afternoon talking about the glo- the, the the glove pass? You know I what? Mean, you know what? We or spent not, or no. We we spent most of the first hour talking about Matt Coronado and the Battle of Alberta. I think Vickers okay. and I touched on the glove pass for about 27 seconds combined. We can die. do you want to, do you want to hit on it to start thing, things off or do you want to go in a different direction? No, listen, it's interesting because all the players and the coach for the Flames last night just said, hey, that's the rule and, and that's, you know, you move on. And, you know, and, and I obviously put a lot of trust in, I, I do think the NHL does a hell of a job interpreting their rules. I mean, they are their rules. They would know them better than anyone else. But it was only, you know, when I, when I got home, I was reading the, you know, official explanation on the, on the rule. And the rule basically, I mean, the, to deem that a pass, is 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 absurd, and and again, I'm not. I don't want to belabor it. It sounds like it's all you know. People carry sour grapes, but it was the biggest talking point of the game last night, other than Austin Matthews, and 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 the wording of it. And I don't have it right in front of me. Sorry, but it, it basically suggests that yeah, if a pass is made using your glove, obviously, it's it's no good, and you got to whistle it down. How in how can anybody under any interpretation say that that was a pass? So the the, you know, if, the wording is that if it's directed to another teammate, then they call it a hand pass, and that is that. And th- this is why this is why I said I'm curious is if if this is the way you look at it. I said bad rule, not bad call is is the way that I looked at it. It's like what a, like I guess I guess it was directed, and I guess by the book it was the right call, but like. What a silly way to to write the rules that it can be that kind of cheeky when it's all said and done. And I get if there's the one replay that um, the telecast that of course you were a part of um, the telecast showed it was the one angle from the blue line in towards the the Leafs end, and because Coleman was going back the other way and he kind of swung his arm, and you know that he barely touched the puck, but. It was quote unquote directed towards Osterley, and I think that's where it came down. And so that's why I say bad rule as opposed to bad call, at least the way I look at it. Well, and see, that's where I would I don't I disagree that he had any intention of directing it. Well, I don't think I don't think he intended to at all. To be perfect, I don't even know if he thought he touched his like even listening to him post game. You were there. We played it on the post game show. I don't even know if he thought it touched or or knew it touched him. When they were reviewing it, Coleman said. 
he thought they were reviewing something else. He had no idea it had to do with him. But then I thought it was interesting talking to Backlund, who said, yeah, I, I saw that it hit his glove, and I thought that they were maybe going to whistle down. But I kept playing, and then when we scored, I had a bad feeling that they, that they were going to review it. So, you know, different perspectives. But all I'm saying is and I don't want to belabor it anymore because, it, it, again, the Flames weren't good enough last night, and I guess that we could leave it at that. But, you know, at the end of the day, anyone who suggests that that was directed is, is wrong. They're just wrong. There is just, you can't interpret it that way. You're just wrong. Um, it hit off his glove, and it happened to go to Osterley, but it was a clearing pass that grazed his glove and was not directed in any way to, to suggest it was a pass. So you're right. That, the way that's worded, you know, at the end of every year, we always have a couple instances where, you know, people are beating the drum at the next GM meetings to try and change something. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say it cost the Flames two points. I mean, it, probably, it may have cost them one, may have cost them two, I don't know. But I do think it was it's – it's, it's worded so poorly – and that's not the intended purpose of it all. And at the end of the day, let's just leave it at this. It, it, it ruined an otherwise really great finish to a game, right? I mean, for both, both fan bases, that, that, that was an unfortunate way to end what would have been a phenomenal finish, however it was going to end. 4-4 with 11 minutes to go with a sea of red and blue going nuts at the Dome. Like, you don't, you don't ask for much more as a fan watching on TV or at the stadium. And that was taken away by a poor wording of a, of a rule. So anyway, we move on. I was just interested because leaving last night, I think a lot of people were like, that was the biggest talking point um, other than Matthews, like I said, but today I'm not, I, I think people have moved on past it and said, well, these kind of things happen all the time and no big deal. It just so happened to happen to the flames this time. It's, uh, it's funny. I saw something earlier today about, how the Leafs kind of felt like they got jobbed on one recently on the other side where Morgan Riley made a hand, got called or, or reviewed to have made a hand pass. Very similar circumstances as this one. Um, and the other thing that people have brought up a lot, which I think is fair and, and worth a reconsideration too, is calling a timeout to then challenge on top of it, which a lot of people were upset about after the, like the way I looked at it, it, it felt like, yeah, I guess you can you can say that it's by the book, but like, is that the spirit in which the rule was written? No, I don't think so. It was like before they changed the offside rule and we were getting a lot of those, is it offside? I don't like, maybe by half a centimeter, should that, should? and then they were in the offensive zone for another 45 seconds and then they yeah. scored? Should that goal really? Mm -hmm. It's like, is this really the spirit of the offside rule? And that's kind of what, what frustrated me. The other thing that I'll say is that it also kind of glazed over the fact the Maple Leafs caved the Flames in in that third period. Like, the, the, Leafs, the yeah. Leafs scored all their goals in the second period, but they the, the final slot opportunities in the third period were 9 nothing Toronto, where Dan Vladar was out of his mind. And maybe that's yeah. where you want to go next, because if Vladar, who I'm, I'm with you, I, I, uh, Francis has got his latest Flames notebook up at sportsnet.ca from a few hours ago, and I'm with you. If Jacob's not ready to go on Saturday, which I think is uncertain at best, like, no knock on Dustin Wolf, and we all want to see more Dustin Wolf. I'm where you are, man. I'm I'm going right back to Dan Vladar if that's the situation. He had two great starts this week, yeah. and uh, and kept that game close. That breakaway Mitch Marner had early in the third that could have ended the game. Then Max Domi had a breakaway in the third yeah, that could have ended it. Vladar made two great saves. Like he he absolutely deserves to start on Saturday. 
Uh, hey, I know this whole city's clamoring for Dustin Wolf to start every game. Uh, he's up, um, but but he's the third he's the third choice for me right now going into tomorrow's game. Like he's the last guy you even consider starting tomorrow against the Oil. But uh, you know this organization has spoken endlessly about how they've what they've really come to learn over the last couple of years uh, is that a healthy rested. Jacob Markstrom is the best version of Jacob Markstrom and gives them the best chance to win. If there's any lingering doubts, I would like to think that uh, everyone, including the goalie, will say, no, it's probably best if we just wait another three days and maybe I start next Tuesday. There's also the lingering storyline that, you know, Markstrom, of course, is the Oilers have been his kryptonite. And that's pretty well documented. Uh, You could make an argument either way. For me, because you could say, well, the way Markstrom's playing, if he's healthy, there's no better time for him to start facing these demons and trying to, you know, make his record better against the others than right now because he's playing so well. Uh, the other side of it is if he's not 100% ready and he hasn't played it for a week, he hasn't practiced with his teammates in, uh, since Monday, then and maybe it's best you go with Vladar. Either way, you know, the coaches will have the best read on it and uh, – you know, it may be a case where they literally want to wake up and see how Markstrom is feeling tomorrow. And if that's the case, then uh, that's the way they'll go with it. But uh, I, I don't know if the fan feedback line is suggesting otherwise or that. that that. Well, now you know, you've got them all fired up on the hand pass again. So that, now, now they're all talking about that. Well, okay, we can go back to that. <laughs> but anyway, but it is uh, it is an interesting one. You know, I... I do you, you see it the same way? You'd rank them one, two, three, you know, Markstrom, then Vladar, then Wolf, but only with the big asterisk that Markstrom's 100%. 100%. 100%. Yeah, okay. um, and, yeah. and, you know, and, and then you think about it, they don't practice on Sunday. They don't play on Monday. They don't play again until Tuesday, right? So you've got the ability to give Markstrom just another couple of days. So if if he if you're uncertain, you probably with the way Vladar is playing, maybe you just err on the side of caution one more time. I know it's the Oilers. I know it's a big game. All of that, but you know if it's uncertain, feels like just common sense might lead you to go with Vladar as well, especially because he's played as well as he has gave him an opportunity to come back and beat Arizona on Tuesday, gave him an opportunity not to have that game get away against the Maple Leafs. And honestly, Francis, other than the Chicago game, which was granted not good by anybody, including number 80, but other than the Chicago game since the beginning of December ish, I really like the way that Vladar's game has been trending. I know the numbers still don't look sexy, and I'm not suggesting that all of a sudden you're going to get a first-round pick for him if you trade him, but I just I feel like his level of play has gotten better over the last month and a half or so. I agree. Like If any team were potentially scouting him over the last month or so, the eye test would tell you that he's a capable backup. And I don't think anybody in Calgary questions that he's a capable backup. And I know... Lots of GMs around the league don't question that he's mm-hmm. a capable backup. Uh, but to expend any significant uh, assets to grab a guy like that when his numbers are what they are, and hey, you're right, they're a product of a, of a poor start for the team and for him. Uh, but, you know, the difference between him and Markstrom is that Markstrom has been given a lot of time to play his way out of it and played so much that he's kind of evened out those numbers and now has some pretty nice looking numbers in terms of goals against average and save percentage, but it took a while to get there and a lot of starts. 
Sladar hasn't been given that luxury, but you know, he's bringing his numbers down slowly. Um, but eye test wise, like those are some pretty sweet snipes by Matthews last night and yeah. Marner. And I don't think anyone's faulting Vladar on those. Um, yeah, he's been, he's been really, really good. But again, I've, I've told you, I've spoken to several people around the league about him and, mm-hmm. and also flames management. And there's no market for him right now at $2.2 million. That is not a tradable asset yeah. uh, for the Calgary yeah. flames right now. Again, lots can change injuries, Teams get some space on LTIR, but uh, right now it's a non-starter around the league. We'll uh, we'll get to Coronado in uh, in a second, but are you of the same mind that this has to be figured out by next season? That they can't if if they're looking at Wolf, who is waiver eligible next season for the first time, to go with Markstrom, Vladar, and Wolf for next year. That's going to be untenable. They're going to have to make room or make a decision at some point between now and like September, October. Maybe it's not March 8th and the trade deadline, but between now and next season, that that's like your last possible cutoff. Is it not? hundred percent, hundred percent. I don't, I don't think March 8th is, is a legitimate deadline of any sort. And I, I know speaking to, to Maloney and Conroy and these guys are like, yeah, of course they would love to have, uh, Wolf here, and you know when you get an injury like Markstrom like this, it's all good. Even if he's on the bench, he's living the life of an NHLer. Yeah, watching, learning, soaking things in, um, all good. But uh, you, if he goes the rest of the season and starts 65 games with the Wranglers, there's not a person in that front office in Calgary who thinks that that sets the young man back. And and I'm 100% with them. I I I think it's foolish to suggest he just either give it away or eat some of Vladar's salary so that you could get something for him. Cause I don't think it'll be of any significance. So no, no, I definitely don't think that there's any pressing need to make that move this year, but I do think that they 100% have to address it in the summer. And at that yeah. point, you're going to have so many more options yeah. and more, more suitors and, and, and more cap space for potential teams to pick them up. And, and, and it'll just be a totally different situation. So yeah, the summer is when you make that move in my opinion. Although, you know, he played pretty well against Toronto. I hear they might be looking for a goaltender. No, I'm just trolling. Uh, I, and and I think I think that they're going to keep trying to to see if they can make it happen before the trade deadline. But I guess yeah. I, I think it's important to say, as you say, like by no means is that a guarantee at this point that they'll be able to get something done that makes a, a lick of sense between now and the deadline. And to your point, whether it's Markstrom or Vladar it's a little bit of a different conversation and a little bit more wide open of a conversation once you get to the off season. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and then of course there's the whole, you know, I, I think in the summer it's, it's a conversation about your entire goaltending situation too, right? Including Markstrom. I mean, I, I think you need to sit down with, you yeah. will sit down with Markstrom and just get his thoughts too, because uh, the trades that are made here by March 8th may just really put his nose out of joint. We yeah. know him and Lindholm are, age-old friends, and, 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 and maybe we have to see how this season ends. I mean, so much, Pat, so much can change in a month, let alone the next three and a half, whatever it is, months till the end of the season uh, or however long the season lasts in Calgary. Um, you know, but, but the way I see it right now, it's, a, it's, not a, it's not a situation where I think it's going to be addressed anytime soon. 
It's the Eric Francis Hour. Francis and Steinberg with you here on Flames Talk. Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, I know you wrote about it in uh, your Flames Notebook, which is available now at sportsnet.ca. If you want to go check out uh, a really fun Michael Backlund story and anecdote involving the former captain, Mark Giordano, that we'll get to a little bit. Some really cool stuff uh, about that in the notebook that we'll touch on a little bit later on this hour. But, you know, there's kind of two forks to this conversation. Um, You know, Matt Coronado is, uh, I I don't believe he's going to be playing for the, uh, the Wranglers on Friday night in Coachella Valley. And we know that they have an opening for a top nine forward. um, And it just, it, everybody's just waiting for as I think as you called it, when hyping up the, the EF hour this week, the inevitable recall for Matt Coronado, we're just waiting for it to be made official at this point. Too bad to see Martin Pospisil go down. I think they're going to miss Martin Pospisil more than even we might even think with the way he's played of late, and I, I know you agree. But it also yeah. does open up a top-nine spot, and for Craig Conroy, who's gone on record with you and others, and Don Maloney, who's gone on record with you and others about the, the way Matt's been playing and their desire to get him here when it makes sense, well, it feels like here's your opportunity, and now it does make sense. Oh, yeah, it's going to happen. They'll announce it in the morning. It's uh, it's the perfect scenario for an organization that really is excited and has really been hoping, not by way of an injury, but they were, they've been kind of waiting. Well, not Canada. They have been waiting for the perfect opportunity to bring Matt Coronado back. Yeah. Ever since they traded Zador off on, I think it was December 3rd, uh, they've had the cap space to bring him back. And that's, so that's not the issue. The issue has been they need to put him in the right scenario. Exactly. And, 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 and putting this guy, you know, on the fourth line is obviously a ridiculous waste of time. And, but even to, to bring him up, Don Maloney had said to me, that, you know, even to bring him up and play him largely as a power play specialist because he's a finisher and he, he creates offense, you know, have him play eight or ten minutes just, you know, working largely on the power play and then not really playing regular shifts. That doesn't serve the young man's purpose either, nor does it serve the team's purpose. Uh, when, when that, especially got look the top nine over the last uh, since January first, or even since New Year's Eve, have been phenomenal. Right? There's no complaints there. The fourth lines had lots of issues, but the top three lines, no problem whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You can't squeeze, you can't squeeze anybody in there. So now they can. That's the perfect spot for them. Second line, it's not. It's you know, it's not the top line. And it's not going to disrupt that third line that's been so good. It's perfect. Um, and, and this really, to me, opens up a much larger conversation about just the commitment that, that has been made, you know, as promised by Craig Conroy from day one to get younger. And it's one thing to pay lip service to it. And people think, ah, oh, well, he's going to be a new GM. It's going to be harder than he thinks to get these youngsters in. He's proven that it's not. You just say something you're going to do and you just do it. And when you've got full buy-in from your coach, which is crucial, which, of course, we didn't see for the last several years between the GM and the coach, there was a disconnect. And, and, and guys like Matthew Phillips, you know, don't get the look that the organization really wanted to take a look at. And they don't get the look at other players that they really want to take a look at. Well, this year, they're getting that look. And I think, you know, it was Don Maloney who said to me on the weekend in Vegas, you know, we could have brought Connor Zeri up and – played him eight minutes a night on the fourth line. And then, you know, a week or two later, we sent him down to the minors and people would have said, well, that guy can't play in the NHL. 
But if you give the guy a real rattle, like a real top six or nine chance, like they did, and sure, he caught lightning in a bottle. Now now the Calgary Flames know they have a player. And they know they have yep. a player in Pospisil. And it was all because of the opportunity that they were given. It wasn't a token, hey, let's bring him up, let him go on the charter and see what the NHL looks like, and we'll play him eight minutes a night. I think there's a huge discrepancy in that and the way the Flames have gone about it. And so in that vein, Matt Coronado is going to come up and play tomorrow night, and he's going to play 15 minutes or something like that. And that's a serious, legitimate look at a guy the way that they deserve to do it. And I think that's great. Are you, and, uh, you know, we, are you worried at all? Worried is maybe the wrong word. But they put Rizicka up there in the, uh, the Leafs game, and, and Ryan Huska said he didn't mind how he played there. And, you know, this is a, this is a coach that is very – I think right now he's, he's feeling more comfortable with guys that he trusts. Like, is there a chance they don't play Coronado against the Oilers, put in Ruzichka with Kadri and Zeri, and and then go about it that way, and, and then put Klapka in on the fourth line? That's, that's my only, I don't even know what the right word is, that's my, that's my only nagging thing in the back of my head, is I know that Coronado, um, maybe from a coaching standpoint, the coaches maybe lost some trust in him during that extended stint at the beginning of the year as it went on, so I guess I just... I wonder, do they go Rizicka? Does does Huska err on the guys that he knows and trusts a little bit more? I'm with you. I think it should be just pop Coronado on the Cadre line on the right side as well. That's 100% what I'd do. And I'd also probably get Klapke in there, which is another conversation. I just, I wonder yeah. about that a little bit. Yeah, I, I think it's fair after what we watched over the last couple of years with the previous coach uh, to, to wonder if that maybe makes a little more sense. Go with the veteran. I'll call Ruzicka veteran, but a, a proven player uh, to some degree. Known commodity. A known commodity, well put, and and put him up there. But listen, the way that Ruzicka and, on a similar extent, Dubé have played of late, they, you know, these guys have really struggled mm-hmm. to to maintain to show anything. Um, you know, I, I'm sure confidence is low for both of them. They're they're hardly noticeable at all. And I know it's the fourth line, so it's it's easy to be not noticeable. And sometimes that's the best thing if you're a fourth liner. But the reality is, um, you know, the, the Klapka conversation is a different one to me. And I could see the argument where you'd say, look, if we're going to bring Coronado back and he hasn't played in the NHL for, for quite some time, and then maybe we shouldn't put another a, a raw rookie in uh, on the same night, especially, you know, with the glare of a national audience against, you know, one of the, well, the hottest team in the National Hockey League. So. Yeah. I can I can see that argument for sure, but so I'm not sure Klapka's going to get that run tomorrow. But I think he certainly should. And and they brought up Klapka to play on the fourth line. They yeah. didn't bring him up to play on the second third line. Klapka's here to muck it up, to throw that weight around, and and to play on that fourth line. And I think it's time. Uh, it's it's you know when they when the coach was asked last night about Rizicka and Dubé, he responded by saying I thought Rizicka was okay which was another glaring, yeah. you know, admission that he's really struggled with uh, having confidence in Dubé. So I could see Dubé coming out. I just don't know if both those guys, Coronado and Dubé, or Coronado and Klapka will both be put in tomorrow. But but no, you're not putting in Klapka and then deciding to bump up one of those other guys. Uh, that's just not happening. I get that you're playing devil's advocate. You're also just wondering aloud. But if they're bringing back Coronado from Coachella, Coachella Valley, 
today. That's you know he's got to come back today, and he shows up tomorrow morning, like I I'm I'm sure he will. Then you're going to have a situation where you're going to put Coronado in. And again, I hope so. I have, I, I, I'm I with you by the way. Last year, well Ryan Ryan Huska's fully in on this. He knows also what this kid can bring. I mean, he's got a little more confidence now, and yeah, it's yeah. I, I understand your concern, but it's not happening. <laughs> um, I hope you're right, and I'll uh, give you a big, a big uh, air smooch if uh, if you are correct. <laughs> I'd like I'd like to see it. I really, and it it does. You know, to your point about whether Klapka gets in or not, um, there's another first time NHL call up, right? And most of the time. At some point, whether it's right away like Zary and Pospisil and Solovyov, or it took a couple of games like Kuznetsov, these guys who yeah. have come up on their first NHL call-up have gotten into games, and and whether it's only been one or like the two forwards it's been for the rest of the season, they're, they're giving them an opportunity. And it goes back to you and I were both in Penticton, and, one of the, and, and we were both at the introductory news conference for Craig Conroy in May, and all along the and, and I know you wrote about this, the line has been, the party line has been we want to get younger and we want to give younger players more of an opportunity on the NHL roster. And it's hard to argue they haven't done that. That's one of the the overarching theme of this season is the UFAs and the long term direction of the team. But I think the yeah. biggest positive of the season so far is how Conroy and Co. have have stuck to their word, and they have at times gone out of their way to get younger guys into the lineup. Like good on them. And and it's I think people have always just assumed that if you're going to get younger, like it's mutually exclusive in a lot of people's eyes that you could be a competitive team trying to make a playoffs while also trying to get younger throughout the season. This team has proven you can do both, which to me is almost the very definition of a retool, which is the word I keep using right. this whole season. Um, so uh, I think that, look, if Klapka starts on Saturday or if we have to wait till Tuesday or whatever the case is, that's the fifth raw rookie to do the solo lap this year. That's amazing. I, I actually, I got to check with my stats guys to find out the last time the Calgary Flames did that. Um, it's been a lot of years. Like, I'm not sure... In all the years I've covered the team, they've done that. Maybe in the Young Guns era, but I, I still doubt that even. So it's, it's, and, and, and because of it, it helps significantly shape the way you approach your UFAs. Doesn't it, Pat? Like, this is something that, that doesn't get discussed enough. Like, because they now know that Zeri and Pospisil are everyday NHLers, that changes the way you listen to trade offers for guys like Lindholm, yep, right? Yep. Because you're thinking all along, well, I got I need to I need two second line wingers. You know, I've got Dubé here or whoever that I had they may have had before, but they're not cutting it. So, anyway, now that you know that those guys for the next however many years are in your lineup and they're rock solid, well, now that changes entirely the way you approach everything else. And if you've got a coach who won't give these youngsters a chance and doesn't let the organization know what they have in these guys, then, uh, then, then, then you don't have that knowledge of power or the power of knowledge to, to, to know that these guys are NHLers. Like four months ago, we had no clue that Connor Zary was an everyday NHLer. Exactly. Not just it, not just this year, but ever. Like you know, he was a first round pick, and there was high hopes, but you don't know. And then, and the same, much more, the case is for possible. So no one, people were shocked when he got called up, and now he's now he's a, a, a mainstream guy. So. 
that knowledge is power. And, you know, in, in Sutter's defense, his the way he looked at it always was, I get paid to win hockey games, and the guys who give me the best chance to win every single hockey game are proven guys that I can trust, like the Trevor Lewis's of the world. And that was the way he looked at it. And, uh, you know, that's the way he's entitled to looking at it that way. But when the new GM comes in and says, we're looking at things a different way from now on, and you got a new head coach who's buying into that, boy, the harmony can be really quite refreshing. Yeah, yeah. And, and it has been. It's been a great story so far this year. Uh, and last point before we uh, take our uh, first little pause, it, it, you do, man, do I feel bad for uh, Martin Pospisil. Like, what a year he's having, and you just hope it's not the C word with him. And, and all they've said is upper body, so we don't know. But, man, mm-hmm. with, with how positive this has been, you said it. I didn't think he was going to get called up. I, I didn't think he was an NHLer. I'll be the, the first to say it. Well, he's showing he's an NHLer. And this journey of coming back from the concussions and other injuries, and now here he is probably going to be deemed week to week when it's all said and done. It's like, damn, it, uh, you just you feel your, your, your heart goes out to him because of how great a story this has been. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, when, when I, I, I get to talk to him, well, you do too. I, you know, when you see him in the room and, just shoot the breeze with him. And I, I was talking to him in Vegas just about how he's feeling and everything. And, and he, he took a big hit. I can't remember what game it was, but anyway, he, he's mentioned to me two or three times. Like, you know, I got to be careful because of my injury history. Like he's, he's, he doesn't play a tentative game. Don't get me wrong, but he feels like there's a line that he doesn't want to cross. And there are dangerous situations that he doesn't want to enter in because of his history of injuries. So it plays a role in his mind for sure. And when that happened the other day, and that was just a very unfortunate, I don't yeah. think for a second Matthews meant it. Jeez, come on. Like, and you know, that was just a very unfortunate, like brutal, you know, four or five feet away from the boards head. You know, it was just, it was awful. Anyone who saw it just cringes and says, no yeah. one wants to see that ever in sport. So yeah, I hope he's doing all right. I hope it's not the concussion. I, I, I know it sounds crazy, but, like anything but the concussion to me is is good news. Uh, you know, I don't I don't know I don't know how you can really look at it any other way. Yeah. The guy who's had five of them. So, yeah, all the best to Martin Pospisil. He's a real nice guy, and uh, he's he's made a world of a difference for this organization. So that's 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 key. We are underway on the Francis Hour. It's Eric Francis, Pat Steinberg, along with you. Uh, Flames talk well underway this hour. Looking forward to that Michael Backlund story, and we'll uh, get to that as we continue along. The Eric Francis Hour is brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry cares for their horses, employs Albertans, and contributes to the economy. Visit thehorses.com, 18+. plus. Please play responsibly. You're locked on Flames Talk, only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Continuing along on the Eric Francis Hour, it's Steinberg and Eric Francis of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca. It's a little Friday edition of the EF Hour with lots to get to. We're going to get to Michael Backlund in just a second. There's a nice anecdote dug up by Mr. Francis this week. But uh, one more thought on the controversial no goal in the third period from Thursday night. Yeah, a lot of people I know took exception to the fact that the Leafs called a timeout first to buy more time to keep reviewing it, and then they and then they threw down the challenge. Uh, I asked one of the Flames uh, beat reporters, Luke Fox, if they've done that before, and he, 
I, he basically said they've they've done it every single time. And uh, Sheldon Keefe is four for four this year on challenges. And uh, they use that timeout strategically to do it quite often. And I don't think that's bending the rules. You get, you're given a timeout to do whatever you want with it, whether it's to stall and get, allow guys to catch their breath or whether there's a guy getting an equipment change in the back. Like, it, it doesn't matter what the, the idea is. And I know people don't like any sort of lengthy delays. It did take a long time for the league to rule on it. So, yeah, momentum was lost on the game broadcast for sure. But at the end of the day, the Leafs have been doing it a lot. And they're totally allowed to do it, and I have no problem with it. I, yeah. don't, I don't know if that bothers you, but hey, let, then you're really nitpicking if you're going to say you can call a timeout, but you can't do it to look at video. Like you can't do that. The only thing, because because I I saw a ton of that. There's nothing against the rules. I even there there is a specific rule that suggests you can't unduly delay the game. Like you couldn't you couldn't yeah. be Sheldon Keefe and like throw a bunch of gum on the ice and be like, ah, yeah. no, hold on. It's, oh, sorry. You can't do that, but you've got a 60 second timeout. You can use it whenever. Um, and, and so it says you can't unduly delay the game, but using your 60 second timeout doesn't count because you can use that whenever. What's to say that somebody wouldn't interpret it at another time and say that you can't use it then. There's only two things you can do. You can change the rule. Like you can go NFL style and say, if you're going to challenge, you also use your timeout. And if you get the challenge correct, you get to keep your timeout. That's kind of the, the way the NFL has gone about it in the past. You could do that, and that way you wouldn't be allowed to, uh, because by challenging, you're using a timeout. You could do that if you wanted to avoid what Sheldon did uh, happening, or you could kind of write a silly little rider on the rules. Also, you can't call a timeout before challenging, which I'm with you. I think that would be silly. The only thing that you could really do is go the football route and say, okay, to use a coach's challenge, you must have a timeout. If you get the challenge wrong, you lose your timeout. And if you get the challenge right, you get to keep your timeout. Um, yeah. that, that's really the only thing I can think of to avoid that happening if you were irate at it. I wasn't because it's, to your point, fully within the rules. Listen, it's better that they call a timeout than you have a guy who's just about to drop they're about just to drop both to drop the puck and the centerman that says, Oh, my skate lace is loose. And <laughs> yeah. you, know, you know what I mean? Like, or to your point, throw gum on the ice or, you know, or, or fake an injury. Like teams have done all that sort of stuff over the years in a million different ways. And referees see right through it and they don't put up with it for the most part. I'm glad they don't. And I think this is a way of cutting through that crap and just saying, look, we have a timeout. We're allowed to use it. We're going to use it. Here we go. Hey, it was a crucial part of the game. It won the Leafs the game in a lot of people's eyes. So I, I don't have a problem with it at all. It was a smart move by Sheldon Keefe. As I kind of joked after the game, look, the, the Leafs couldn't uh, stem the, you know, the stem the, they, they couldn't stop the Flames from tying the game, but the coach could. And so he did. You know what I do have a problem with? Uh, that Mark Giordano. Let me tell you, he was oh. shaking our hands in the locker room and like, what yeah. are you doing? You're the enemy now. <laughs> uh, no, it was actually quite cool to catch up with. That was the first time that we've really, at the Saddledome, had an opportunity to chat with Mark in that setting. I know he came out last year when the Leafs were in town and, and did a scrum, but it was in front of the backdrop in the hallway, so it's a little less impromptu and a little less casual. That was the first time he just held court at his locker and chilled out with the former guys who used to uh, always hang on his every word. It was uh, all the normal media dorks, you and me and uh, Vickers and Wes and, and Leslie and like all the people. So it was just, it was the first time that it was like that. And, you know, he went on for 
I think it was all said and done. When I finished recording, it was nine minutes, and then a couple people talked to him for a little bit longer. Like yeah. he just he just held court. It was uh, it was good to see. Just it was like, oh yeah, there's Gio. Hey, that guy used to be the captain for a decade, and uh, that brings us to a pretty neat story about him and Michael Backlund. Well, I got a chance to, uh, and, and by the way, that you know, I I stayed I stayed and spoke to Gio alone after that for three or four minutes. So it was very romantic. And this is con- this is contrary to everything that the Toronto Maple Leafs believe in, right? They shelter their players, they shield them, they don't allow much more than you know three, four minutes with anyone. They cut off any uncomfortable, like you know, that's just the way that they've all. Their culture has always been uh, very little in terms of allowing exposure to the players. So this was they, but this they just recognized. No, no, this guy wants to spend time with his former people, and it was it was great. But I, I, I had a one on. I just was chatting with uh, Michael Backlund alone in the, the Flames locker room earlier, and he had revealed to me he never he's never spoken about this before. But but when he was trying to make up his mind as to whether or not to stay in Calgary this summer, um, one of the most important phone calls he made was to Mark Giordano, and it was because he admired him. It's because he'd learned so much from him. But it's also because he knew that Giordano didn't want to really necessarily leave. Calgary, well, he, he definitely didn't want to leave. Trudeau told me, he goes, I wanted to retire at Calgary Flame. And we all knew that. But it was, uh, you know, he wanted to call Giordano and say, look, you've played in two other organizations since. You spent all that time in Calgary. Like, what do you think I should do? And I think it's great to know, and it probably doesn't surprise a lot of people, that Gio's advice was, listen, you've got a great thing going here. This is a great city. It's a great place to play hockey. It's a great place to raise a family. And this is an organization, and, and Giordano said this, this is an organization that's trying to win every year. And so all those things together, his advice was, uh, why, why go somewhere else where you don't have all those things necessarily in place and you certainly don't know the answers to, as to whether those things will be in place. So, um, you know, you've earned it. You know you're going to be the captain if you come back. And then he went and told them all about, you know, the responsibility of being a captain and why, yeah. why he – why he deserves it too, which I think is cool. And so I, I just think it was a, lot, a really cool story of mutual respect, but also just a, a real tip of the cap, um, you know, from Giordano just to just how great a city this is. And he was the first to point out, he goes, listen, you know, when we were in the scrum, you were there and you played it for the listeners. He said, listen, I think it was Vixie who asked him like, look, can you do, can you vouch for the fact, or no, I actually it was Danny who asked, can you vouch for the fact that this is not normal weather here in Calgary? He says, man, I, I talk to all the people about Calgary all the time and say, yeah. look, you got to put up with, what do you say, about 10 days of this stuff every year, and the rest is gravy. So we got a real ambassador in Mark Giordano. He, know, he doesn't live here anymore, and he probably never will, but I think it's cool that he still wants to spread the good word that this is a great place because, as you know, we've had some trouble uh, convincing people sometimes that this is a great yep. place to continue their career and play. So nice to know that he's still on our side. As he said, always will pump this city. And I, I thought that was a really yeah. good way of putting it. Good on him. And uh, it was it was neat to see him back. And it's just, it's cool. And I know yeah. he's the, you know what? Eh, he's only a year older than me. So I don't even like talking about him being the oldest player in the NHL. <laughs> because it means like that he's one of the only players left that's still older than me. So we share the same birthday. So I know that he's exactly one year older than me. So oh, hilarious. It's like, okay, yep. That's one of the guys. 
I and and I made Vickers very upset on Thursday when I said you are now officially older than every player in the NHL. How's that feel? And he said, "Oh, oh that's funny. Oh, what a gut punch." Um, I I got over that stat a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> that's you, okay. You look young and fresh. Oh uh, yeah, whatever. How do you uh, how do you want to end off the hour today? You know, I I, I do want to just kind of mention something that uh, on a personal level that, uh, that I want to thank somebody in the city, and I don't know her name, and I I I, I probably never will. But um, my daughter was in a car accident. Uh, last week when the weather was really bad and the, the, the short story is that no one was hurt so that's the important thing and but my daughter a 17 year old it was her first accident and it was 100% her fault and she fully admitted it and uh, she ran into the back of a, a lady in a Range Rover uh, and that's going to cost a lot of money but anyway that's what insurance is for but if I could have been there for my daughter because she was a, a mess she was just bawling and just so scared uh, scared to tell her parents, scared, you know, just embarrassed, humiliated, and she was just bawling. And if I could have been there to give my daughter a hug and just tell her, you know what, it's just a car, it's okay, everything's going to be fine, I would love to have been able to have that luxury. But instead, this complete stranger who my daughter rear-ended um, was the one who gave my daughter this long, lengthy hug and told her everything's going to be fine. And I just think that really is wonderful to spread that story because, you know, there have been a lot of accidents around our city, a lot of rear endings and a lot of things happening. And uh, it's nice to know that as, as frustrating as I'm sure it is for that lady and, and maddening, um, when she saw how upset my daughter was, she showed tremendous compassion. And I just want to uh, praise her for that, thank her for that, and remind people that that is the way to be a human being. And that's what being a Calgarian should be about. Well, that's awesome. Do you, uh, do you remember your first car accident? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I thought maybe that would be a funny radio segment at some point to talk about because <laughs> everyone's got a story about their first accident. I mean, they, they'd happen, right? And uh, yeah, mine was completely 100% my fault and it was born 100% out of stupidity. But that's kind of what it's all about when you're driving a car at age 17, isn't it? 16, 17, you're, yeah. you're just not smart enough to understand the dumb things that you do that you shouldn't be doing. Do you remember yours? Yes, it was on the uh, Fifth Avenue flyover, um, and I was coming into downtown off of uh, Memorial. I guess that would be the Fourth Avenue flyover coming uh, westbound, and was coming in off Memorial. Slippery, and you know how that flyover gets slippery. Um, oh, yeah. I, I didn't know that at the time because I was still young. I'd only driven it once or twice, so didn't realize that once you get up on the flyover, the the uh, concrete gets that much more slippery because of the way it's constructed. So, yep, black Honda Civic in front of me, um, slowed down. I was going too fast because, well, that's what I do, and I couldn't uh, couldn't stop in time. And he was so nice. Like I hit him, um, and it was it was busy, so we had to keep on going. At the time, we, we kind of pulled into the parking lot by Booker's after coming off the flyover. He said, "Hey, man, what? Uh, how do you want to do this?" Like I was like, "Hey, I'm so sorry." He's like, "No, no, no. It's good. It's good. It's a rear ender. I'm fine. Like, do you want to exchange insurance? I'm cool if you want me to go get a two or three opinions on it." It was so awesome. He's like, he went to three body shops, found me the cheapest quote so I could yeah, go cool. without insurance, and that's so I was like, that was a very good first accident experience. Yeah, I, I, I'll quickly tell mine because I know we're up against it. I was on my own street. Coming up the street, driving probably way too fast. It was the spring, so it was gravelly, the road. And my 
the holder in the middle of my Buick Skylark filled, filled with cassettes. <laughs> I'm old. Tipped <laughs> over. It tipped over as I was going around a corner way too fast. I leaned down to pick it up. And uh, in the meantime, I ran into the back of a parked truck. I, I slammed my brakes too late and skidded right under. And it was one of those jacked up monster trucks. So my hood went right to his, uh, it, it went right to his tires. Like I hit his tires and I was wedged under the truck Oof. and I got, I got out of the car. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't, I tried to reverse. I was pinned under there. I couldn't. So I grabbed my neighbor, like literally three houses over. He came over and he was jumping on the hood of my car while I was trying to reverse away from the vehicle. If that makes any sense. Oh, until a, I, and I didn't realize a neighbor watched the whole thing was sitting on his porch and watched the whole thing. And like, kind of yells over, uh, what you boys up to over there? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it wasn't like I was trying to make a clean getaway. I just thought I'm just going to try to get it out from underneath this truck. Anyway, I had to leave the most humbling note on this guy's truck. He calls me right away and and because he wasn't home. He calls me a couple hours later and he goes, oh, I see you want to buy my truck. I said, no, <laughs> I, I, I hate your truck. And uh, I probably owe you some money. Anyway, I broke I broke his parking gear because I was dragging his truck around. Ugh. I said, no, <laughs> I, I, I hate your truck. And uh, I probably owe you some money. Anyway, I broke I broke his parking gear because I was dragging his truck around. Ugh. And uh, God bless him. He did the same thing. He actually his best friend owned a, 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 a body shop or whatever. And he got my car fixed for me. At way cheaper than I ever would have otherwise. So again, another guy showing compassion and uh, boy, do I appreciate it. Yep. Agreed. It's a good way to wrap it up, pal. Uh, see you at morning skate on Saturday. Hey, cheers, my man. Yeah. Let's enjoy the battle of Alberta. First time in over a year. Let's do this. It's crazy to think. Uh, bye brother. Eric Francis. That's the Eric Francis hour. As we start to wrap things up. Uh, thanks to Shan and Cam, our producers and the Eric Francis hour is brought to you by horse racing, Alberta. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry has an $83 million positive economic impact in Calgary. Annually visit the 18 plus please play responsibly.